Our scripture today comes from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. When she she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Madeline went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God for the people of God. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell the story of the resurrection, each one of them. There's some different details within each story, but that's because it's told from a different perspective. And we get to, we get to see that, and the Gospels are witness to that, to this resurrection that happened 2,000 years ago. For example, the different details in Matthew, it says that two different Marys came, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. And in Mark, it also adds a third woman, Salome, and specifies that the other Mary is the mother of James. In Luke, it just says the women. And in John, John focuses on Mary Magdalene at at the tomb. So just because you can see slight differences in each of the Gospels doesn't mean that one or the other stories is wrong. It just means that the author chose to put focus on different details than other authors. That, that this author thought that these details were more important. What is that? Are, is that feedback? What is that? It sounds like an echo. That's great. Sorry. My bad. 
that these details were as important and the details that they left out, they didn't think were as important from their perspective. But what do they all have in common? Each gospel says that it was the women that were the first ones at the tomb. They were the first ones to see that the tomb was empty and they were the first ones to go and evangelize to others that Jesus isn't there anymore. I don't know if we got the right tomb, but that tomb's empty. It's not, he's not there anymore. And how amazing is that? Because this is one of the reasons why I believe this gospel of the resurrection to be absolute truth. Because in, in that culture, back then, women were often seen as property. They were seen as second-class citizens. So why would they be included as the first witnesses to the resurrection? And there's been many writers and theologians, or not theologians, but philosophers and different people over the years that have tried to disprove the resurrection on this sole fact that it was women who first saw the resurrection. And in fact, around the year 175 AD, a pagan writer named Celsus discounts the story of the resurrection primarily because it was the women who were there first. He says, these are his words, he says, it was hysterical female who allegedly saw the resurrection. I don't think he had a wife. That hysterical female, I, I don't know if you could get away with that. And I believe if the early disciples wanted to make up a story about Jesus coming back to life, they wouldn't have used women as the first witnesses to this. But let's get back to the story. Early on Sunday morning, right? Early on Sunday morning, the women came to the tomb so they could further prepare Jesus' body for burial. They didn't have time Friday night to complete the process because the Sabbath was beginning and this type of work typically wasn't done on the Sabbath. And so they went in on Sunday morning. Uh, they, they waited until Sunday morning to come and finish their job. And I think that's pretty convenient that they came and finished the job on Sunday morning. And it says uh, in John's gospel, he focuses on one woman who has come to complete this job, Mary Magdalene. And Mary, she's one of those unlikely disciples. Does anyone else feel like an unlikely disciple sometimes? Yeah, Scott, I get you, man. <laughs> she's an unlikely disciple because it says in Luke that she was healed from seven demons. She's from the fishing village named Magdala. And as she approaches the tomb, she notices that the stone that would have protected the entrance is rolled away. And I'm sure that you can imagine her shock because on the way up in Mark, it says that she and the other women were wondering how they're going to get into the tomb when the stone is rolled in front of it. And so she's pretty shocked. And she sees that the body isn't there, and she runs back to tell the disciples. And John's gospel gives us this little detail that I just love. Let's read in verse 3. It says, Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I always smile and kind of chuckle at this verse. And I've heard different perspectives on why other people smile and chuckle at this verse. My reason, I think, this is way off topic, I'm sorry. I think about the, the Kenneth Wyatt paintings of the disciples. You know what I'm talking about? And all I can picture is these really buff old dudes like racing towards the tomb, kind of like that Rocky scene where Rocky Balboa and Apollo Creed are like running on the beach and you just see all their muscles and their beards are like, that's just, I'm sorry, that's what I picture. I just, it always makes me laugh when I see that. It's like John was trying to take a shot at Peter. Like, we started here, we, we both started together, and I outran Peter. 
And I, I don't know. Rick, Rick said it must have been a, a running joke between the disciples. That's bad. A running joke, yeah. So, although the other disciple gets there first, it's Peter who goes into the tomb first. And it says that, that Peter's confused and he's not knowing what's going on when he comes in because he sees the, the linen headcloth that would have been around his head on the side and he sees the, the cloth that would have been around his body just folded and laying to the side. And we read these words in verse 8. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. He believed. And we don't know yet about Peter's belief but the two of them go back home, but not Mary. Mary stays. And the text says that Mary stood weeping outside of the tomb. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And can you see why she's weeping? She was one of many women who followed and supported Jesus. She owed her life to Jesus. She was at the foot of the cross with, with Mary, his mother, and, and others that were there, and watching Jesus as he hung up there for six hours until he finally died. Her hopes, everything that she had hoped for with Jesus had been dashed at the foot of the cross. And to add insult to injury, the body of Jesus was not there. When she came to make final preparations for the body, the body was gone. And so she weeps. And I think when tragedy occurs, even, even now, some of us, the only option when tragedy occurs, seems like it's, it's weeping. All we can do is cry. For her, it seemed that evil had won, that the Romans had succeeded in killing off this innocent rabbi. And this is just part of life. In life, we all have pain. In life, there are times of incredible grief. But it's at this moment when the resurrection comes to break into that pain and suffering. It's at this moment when it tells us that evil will never have the final word because of the resurrection. The day of death, the day of sorrow, the day of desperation will never be the final day. Amen? The resurrection tells us that our worst days are never our last days. And let me remind you on this Easter Sunday that because of the resurrection, our worst days are never the last days. God can take us from despair into hope. But you need to understand this. Easter isn't a promise that you won't go through bad days. Easter isn't a promise that you won't suffer when death comes and suffer through difficult days. Easter doesn't change our circumstances, but it does change our perspective on the circumstances. We see our circumstances differently because of the resurrection, and that's because of Easter Sunday. The resurrection changes everything. It changed all the disciples' lives. They went from scared, insecure followers to bold leaders who would willingly give their lives for the sake of Jesus. And what a privilege that would be to willingly give your life for the sake of Jesus. They knew that their worst days would never be their last days. They went from despair to hope. And this was because of the resurrection. Hope is a foundational premise of life. Hope is a theme that we see woven throughout the whole Bible. Throughout the scriptures, we see hope woven through. From Genesis to Revelations is the story of God's hope for our redemption. A story that in spite of how dark the circumstances seem, God is there 
God is present. God is working for our salvation. Jesus has given us that hope and the resurrection has given us that hope. Easter Sunday takes us from despair to hope. Death never has the last word. The worst days are never the last days. Now there's a final piece of detail from John's gospel that I want to look at this morning. And it's a detail that we don't read in the other gospels. The detail comes in chapter 19, before the resurrection and after Jesus dies. And in chapter 19 it says, Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified. And in the garden was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Now only John tells us that Jesus was crucified and buried in a garden. And why does that matter? I think when, when we see details that are different in, in this account of the gospel, we have to ask the question, why does that matter? Why did he put that detail in his work? Now I want you guys to check this out. As Mary is weeping at the tomb, Jesus comes up behind her and asks why she's weeping. Which to me, I'm like, oh, you know why she's weeping, Jesus. You came up, she's outside of your empty tomb and you ask her why she's weeping? And, and this is what the text says. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. She thinks that Jesus is the gardener. Jesus is the gardener. So let's take a step back from the resurrection to look at how John writes his whole gospel story. We'll come back to the re- resurrection. I know it's Easter Sunday. Just Just bear with me. We'll come back to it. Let's just take a small step back from the resurrection and just look at John's whole gospel. John's gospel doesn't begin with the birth of Jesus. John's gospel begins with the birth of time when it says, in the beginning. And there's only one other book in the Bible that begins that way. And that that book is Genesis. Yes, A plus for this service. The 830 service was slow, guys. I gotta tell you. You guys got it. It is Genesis. Genesis begins in the garden. John's gospel ends in the garden. Genesis begins in the garden of Eden, and it's a place of beauty. It's paradise. Creation started in the garden, a paradise that we were called to take care of, where there was no pain, where there was no suffering. This was a perfect place that God had given to man. And Adam and Eve, it said, could walk with God. And that's beautiful. Until Adam and Eve decided that they wanted to take their own path and disregard God's ways, that they should eat from the fruit of the forbidden tree. And I think that's the story of the human race. We see something that we don't have, and we think it would be better for us if we had that thing that we don't have, and we forget about the things that we actually do have. Adam and Eve forgot that they could walk with God in the garden, And they chose to take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to try and make up their minds and say what was good and what was evil. And I think we fall into that trap every day sometimes. So when John tells us that Jesus was crucified, died, and buried, and raised in a garden, he's taking us back to Eden. In effect, he's saying that Jesus came to fix what we broke in the garden. He's saying that he, Jesus, came to repair the brokenness of our world. 
And when we look at the, when we look at the cross, we see how far we've, we've come from Eden. We see how far we've come from Eden when we look at the cross. When we were in the garden and Adam and Eve could walk with God to hear where the religious leaders are putting Jesus on the cross and crucifying him, we see how far we've come from Genesis to this gospel, to the crucifixion. And, and in this gospel, John is showing us a way how we can get back to the garden. And the only way that we can have life in the garden again is through Jesus' sacrificial love. Jesus' sacrificial love is the only answer to heal the brokenness of this world. Would you agree? That Jesus' sacrificial love is the only answer to heal the brokenness of this world? I think that's truth. And through the resurrection of Jesus, we see that God does indeed have the answer to the brokenness of this world. God has the answer, and we know that the world isn't completely healed yet, but we have hope for the future. We recognize that our best days are yet to come. We recognize that Easter brings the beginning of new life. And as we celebrate the resurrection today, we also look forward to those final days when we come into that final garden, when we go into eternity with Jesus, when we walk with him again. And that's what this Easter message is about because Jesus has risen from the grave, amen? And so Jesus, this morning, I wanna pray over this church God, and I want to pray in the power of your resurrection, Lord, that we would not forget what you did. Lord, we would not forget the cross, but even more than that, Jesus, we would not forget that you rose from the dead, that you walked out of that tomb, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Lord. We can't offer enough thankfulness. We can't offer enough praise for what you did, Lord Jesus. But I pray that this week, the resurrection would not leave our mind. And the resurrection would be what we cling to in times of despair because the resurrection is that hope that because of the resurrection, all things are gonna be made new. That because of the resurrection, we get to come and worship as a congregation. That because of the resurrection, Lord, we have hope. And that because of the resurrection, because all things are be, can be made new and we're included in that, we can be made new. And we thank you for that this morning, Jesus. We pray in your name because your name is power and the resurrection is power. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're gonna take part in communion. If you guys would like to join me in that. Now, uh, when I was getting prepared for communion this Sunday, I kind of borrowed this from Charlie. It's Charlie's hymnal. I hope he doesn't need it this morning because I have it. And uh, I was looking through uh, the United Methodist um, process for communion and how the tradition of communion. And as I was looking through, there were three steps to communion. And the three steps, the first step is invitation. The first step is invitation, that Christ's table is open to all who are willing to accept this gift of communion. That invitation is open to anyone. You don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to be uh, anything but invited. And that's what you are this morning. You're invited to take place in this communion. Now, the second step, the second step is difficult because the second step is confession. 
And this morning, I wanna pray. And as I pray, I pray that you would confess your sins, the, the ones that you haven't confessed yet, the sin that comes to mind when you hear the word confession and just receive this invitation through your confession. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, this gift of communion, we thank you for it. Lord, we say that, that we, we have sinned. We confess that we have sinned, that we have fallen short of your glory. Lord Jesus, would you forgive us this day? Would you forgive us this day from our sins? That we may be invited to your table and we, we would feel free to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the third step, the third step to this is called the great thanksgiving, which I love. I love that it's called the great thanksgiving because we get to come together and give a great thanksgiving for what Jesus did on the cross. And on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is given to you. Always do this in remembrance of me. And when they had finished eating the bread, he took the cup he blessed it and he gave thanks to God and he said, this is my blood which is poured out for the new covenant, for the forgiveness of all sins. Every time you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. And so this morning, in remembrance of him, under your chair is this communion goblet. Does everyone have one? If you don't, you can, they're, they're under every chair, so you can, you can take one from another chair that's empty. Um, and this first tab, you can peel away to get access to the bread. And once you have access to the bread, if you hold it up. This is the body of Christ, which has been broken for you. Broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And if you'll flip the cup over, please flip the cup over before you do this. And peel back that layer. It'll give you access to the juice. This is the blood of Jesus poured out for us for the forgiveness of our sins. Drink this and take part in the great thanksgiving. Lord, thank you again for this. Thank you that we get to come together. Thank you that we get to praise you and that you give us this gift of communion again, Lord Jesus. May we always remember you when we take communion and may we always remember your resurrection from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.